0: Well, it's 2016. Gang, it's, uh, I can't even believe I'm saying that, right? It's just the Lord has done so much this past year, and, uh, and I know He's going to continue to do stuff in us. And if you're a visitor, just know uh, we're glad you're here. My name's Darren. Uh, I have maybe the, the first pastor here, but I am one of the pastors. God is doing a lot of stuff through a lot of people in our fellowship. And it only happens because we hold on loosely, not tightly. And so that's kind of what our little fellowship has been about. We'd love you to, uh, we know there's a lot of great churches in the area, a lot of great expressions of Christ. And so for you taking out a Sunday morning and coming, hanging out with us, like that really means a lot. And we're thankful for that. So uh, if you're visiting, you're welcome and we're uh, glad you're here. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Haggai? (laughs) Now, for those of you that are panicking and you want to look spiritual like you know where it is, just go to Matthew and turn left, okay? Go Malachi, Zechariah, and you'll find your way to Haggai, and they won't know any different on either side of you. But if you have your Bible or your smartphone magic Bibles, uh, I would love for you to be there because we're going to spend a little bit of time in there this morning. I would like to, while we're turning there, thank those of you who worked like rented mules this week knocking down these walls and helping to expand uh, this building. This is, this is the troop carrier that God gave us, like this is what he's given us to work with. And so we're knocking down these walls uh, so that we can strengthen our core, and we want to strengthen our core so we can extend our reach, and it starts at home with strengthening here. And so this is going to allow us in these coming weeks to be doing small group Bible study discipleship on Sunday mornings. I know it's hard. I got four kids. But I know that some of us at least can still carve out a Sunday morning, so if you come like an extra hour, I mean, maybe old people knew what they were doing, right? Sunday school seemed to work for my grandma. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into that this, this year, and so that's why we're knocking those walls down, and thank you, uh, Phil Williams, and my wife, Shannon. By the way, this is birthday Eve for my wife, um, I know, she's like 21, where she's going to finally decide what she's going to do when she grows up. It's, we're so excited. Uh, no, she worked uh, really super hard this week. She's, Phil has been like the contractor guy, but my wife is like the project manager and scheduling. And for those of you that have responded to her and worked with her and getting this stuff done, thank you to that. But thank you, Shannon, for... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how... I, I know that we wouldn't be here uh, without her, so I appreciate that. And happy birthday, Eve, Shannon. I 1. They give you plenty of time to find it. In case you're wondering, it's on page 1,440. In verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Verse eight, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Father, we ask for your word to bring uh, wisdom to us today. Your word is a lamp, it's a light. And for those of us that are just seeking you, Lord, that this word today wouldn't be some sort of corporate ethereal, but as a specific word for each of us, personally and individually, because we know you love us personally and individually, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I had to call the vet uh, last week, it was a week ago yesterday, because Danielle Bryan, our goat, was uh, great with child, a Christmas baby, (laughs) or as it would turn out, babies, because Danielle was pregnant with triplets. So, you know, the first one is out and we're great, but then all of a sudden, like we know there's a problem, and so I had to call the vet. Now, uh, the good news is is that we got little baby goats and they're cute and adorable, but we didn't. You know, we had to call the vet over, Dr. Hatcher over at uh, Rock and Country, just a mile away. And so I'm on the phone with Dr. Hatcher the day after Christmas and I'm like oh, I'm so sorry, and she's like, well, once she got there, she's like, oh, this is a tangled mess. We, I'm glad you had never been able to talk you through this, and, but on the phone. When I'm telling her where we're located, I'm like, we're just like a mile away from you, like right around the corner. And it's this uh, house 6515, Peytonsville R. O. and she says, oh, that's Malcolm so-and-so's old house, isn't it? It's like, yeah, you know, I've never met Malcolm. I don't know if you've bought a house before where you never met the previous owner, but I, we didn't know Malcolm and his wife. We'd heard some things about them, but we didn't know them, right? And so... She said, oh, yeah, he used to have 150 head of sheep out here. Now, that's a lot of sheep. By the way, we had a few sheep last year until I realized we didn't like the taste of lamb, and so we've shifted gears to goats. I appreciate the whole goats and sheep thing at the end of time with Jesus, but goats are just funnier. Like, So I don't know what Jesus was talking about. We'll figure that out in heaven. But be that as it may, sheep, as it turns out, is not a compliment. Um, Jesus was using sheep because they're not the, the brightest bulbs in the, in the pasture, and So she's like, "Oh, he had 150 head of sheep, and anybody that's been around uh, College Grove, that area, would have known that that was uh, part of the plan and the purpose of that house was designed for Malcolm's sheep. He was going to be a sheep farmer, and if you go inside of the house, we our first showing of the house, my son pulled into uh, we were in the parking lot of the parking lot driveway, and." We pull in, and my son was so sick from school that day. It was the first time to see the house, and he said, he would have been, this was three years ago, he'd been like four or five years old, I guess five, and he says, we pull in the driveway, look, uh, if, uh, if I have to move, it was just out of the blue, so clearly his gears had been grinding. If I have to move, I, I want my room to be LSU colors. Now, I don't even know where that came from. I'm from Nebraska. We we still wouldn't do red and white, by the way. But yeah, his little buddy, Kevin, two doors down, was his mentor, taught him about ninja skills, and apparently taught him to like LSU sports. Now, LSU sports, if you're keeping track, room colors would be purple and yellow. So you imagine our surprise when we walked upstairs to the room that was going to be Ethan's room and the carpet. Now, this this is a commitment to purple. Purple It's purple. And I mean not like kind of purple, like Prince, but like charismatic church circa 1987, purple you know what I'm saying? You've been around that one? Because purple's the color royalty, you know what I'm saying? That kind of purple. She's committed to purple. But the house was kind of weird. I don't know, like the Roars, if you'd ever been in there, I know you drive by all the time. But inside, the thing that you realize is that the shower, the first thing, and it suddenly we realized why well, the house had been on the market for like a year and a half. There's no like master, t- no giant tub in the master bathroom. There's just a giant shower like a giant shower like the kind they would use to wash off nuclear waste you know like that kind of shower the hallways are huge everything's big and what we learned later because Malcolm and his wife had moved back to Iowa was that Malcolm as it turned out my son the day that Malcolm he drove into the driveway to pick up a mirror that he had left behind or something we left it out on the porch and we weren't home and but my son later said, Dad, he was huge. This guy was like, I'm like, like no, Dad, like gigantic. <laughs> huge. You, did you see him, Lauren? Was he, were you there that day? I never got to see Malcolm. But as it turns out, confirmed by Doc Hatcher, the vet, the dude was like six, seven and weighed a lot. Like, not just tall, but just a very full-figured, gigantic dude. And suddenly we realized the reason he has a giant shower is when you're 6'7 and weigh 380, you don't want to get into a tub. (laughs) You don't want to be climbing over stuff. And it didn't make any sense, purple and yellow, until we realized they're from like northern Iowa. And if you're from northern Iowa, you're required, I guess, to be a Minnesota Vikings fan. Purple and yellow. The floor of the basement was covered in linoleum. Linoleum, which is like, if you're from Iowa, that's what you do. I'm from Nebraska. Linoleum, I thought that was what flooring was. We took perfectly good hardwood floors in Nebraska and just taped linoleum over the top of them. <laughs> <laughs> but he put linoleum on the basement floors because when you come in from 150 head of sheep and you are covered in sheep, you don't want to do that on the hardwood floors. Big showers, big showers, big linoleum. And if you look in the back of our pasture, there's these two run-in shelters, which we thought, well, that's great for, you know, we'll get a couple of horses and a donkey. And But for the first little while, we're like, well, I wonder why they put them facing east. So you can't see into them from where our back patio is. You can't see the horses in the run-in shelter. They're, they're facing directly east, which is just weird enough on our property to look a little weird. And that's weird until 150 sheep need to get shade in the middle of the afternoon, and you realize that they're facing east so that they could get shade inside of there. He built the entire operation for his plans and his purposes and his pleasure. He didn't have the tylers in mind. And we, from time to time, we'll have these conversations. Oh, it'd be great to have a tub. And you know, maybe you do that. You're, we'd love to do this or that with our house. And over time, you begin to remodel. And, and I think that's why shows like love it or list it. I think that's why I just came back from Waco, Texas a couple of weeks ago and uh, was going there specifically to meet with a guy named Jimmy Seibert at Antioch Church and and learn about what they're doing there, because it's not dissimilar from what God's doing here. But as it turns out, if you go to Waco, you are required by law to go drive by Chip and Joanna Gaines' house from Fixer Upper, (laughs) which we did, and slowed down just enough to get a weird picture, just enough that they would have seen us to think, "Ah, another one of those guys, (laughs) another tourist. You got to drive by the homes that they have remodeled, because everybody knows where they are, Waco's not that big, so we're driving by those houses, and apparently it's like affected the entire property values of this community. Our friend Russ and Angie Rankin were talking; they've been trying to sell their house. We stayed at their house, and like it's it's almost impossible to sell a house here because everybody's theirs is a new house. Everybody's looking for a fixer upper. People are moving here to fix up a house, and if you think about it, the success of that show is based on. Somebody looking at an old home and not seeing the potential and the possibility in it. And these guys coming along and saying, we're going to rebuild and remodel this thing, customize it to your story, to what's important to you. We're going to knock down these walls and put up those, and we're going to make it, if you need an office, if you're raising kids, if you're, whatever the plans and the purposes of the home of the, of the resident, is what we're going to build this home. And so they do the big reveal and the women cry and the men jump up and down. Because and, what they're looking at is a home that was customized for their plans and purposes, for their pleasure. And over time, you know, we hope you know, we can, you know, little by little, nickel by dime, begin to customize the home for our plans and our purposes and our pleasures. And as I was reading Haggai this week, realizing... God is not afraid of a fixer upper. Like, this entire prophecy is to a group of people who were fixing up an old temple, an old house, quote unquote, of God that they were going to remodel and rebuild for his plans and his purposes and his pleasure. See, the identity of the house has nothing to do necessarily with the architecture, more to do with whoever's in the house. This is the Tyler house. Now, you drive by and you see that what's important to us, we have goats and horses and chickens and, well, so some of us, Shannon hates the chickens, but that's important to me. And I was reading this in mind of thinking, now, I know that this is normally used as a, uh, a sermon or a scripture to do a capital campaign for you to suddenly give a bunch of money to build a building for the church. I get that, I understand that, but let's rethink this and think as we're reading what Haggai is saying here. He's talking about rebuilding a house, and so my questions that I want to answer this morning for me is, what is the house of God? In their context, and in our context, how is the house of God built? How do they do it? And why, like, why does it matter? Is that okay? Can we do that? What's the house of God today? Now, if you were a little kid and you were running around your church in Nebraska, what you were told was, the building was the house of God. Right, you're running. You spilled. Clearly, people have spilled on this carpet, and they would say, "Oh, don't run in the house of God." Right? Did you ever hear that? I don't know. I did. Don't, don't scratch the house of God. Don't, you know. And and I get the sentiment. Take your hat off in the house of God, but that's not in this dispensation what this is. This is not the house of God. This is just a building. And the good thing about a building is it keeps us warm in the winter and cool in the summer, and it keeps us from getting rained on. But the good news is that you don't have to have a building. I've been all over the world, and I've seen churches. I mean, David, in in Togo, Africa, there's a building there now, but for that where the church was for a long time, they'd meet outside under trees, under a picnic structure, because the church is us. And 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Peter three, all confirms that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God does not reside in buildings of wood and architecture. He resides in you and I. That's just, that was the whole thing. The new covenant linchpin is in that, that he now resides in Melissa. Like right now, you're a house of God. That's the house of God. In this dispensation, the house of God was this temple that had been lying in ruins at this point for 70 years. And this passage of this prophecy is Haggai saying to the people that had been working on this house, working on rebuilding this temple, you guys got to stick with it because remodeling something takes time. There's unforeseen circumstances. And he's saying to them, you guys got to get back at it, that this house of God, you're focusing on your thing and your agenda and your ship lap house and whatever, but this is God's house, you need to be focusing on it as well. And he talks about how you have no money. It's like you're putting your money into a pocket with holes in it. It's like you've been on a treadmill, a lot of movement, but you're not getting anywhere. Because you're focusing on your deal and your agenda and your thing while my house lies in ruins. The house of God today is us. For them, it was this structure that God would inhabit and they would go and seek him. But the new covenant, when that temple veil was torn in half, it spoke of that now he would reside in each of us. And so the question of what is the house of God, it's us. And does our house currently lie in ruins are we focusing on this other agenda, the, the, what the world has put in front of us, while my house of God is, is currently in need of some fixing upping? Why my house maybe needs some walls knocked down. There's some opinions and some agendas I got. That maybe those need to be knocked down. Maybe some other things need to be built up in me. Maybe. Probably. Because if I'm building my house, I'm going to build it for my pleasures and my agenda. But that's not what the purpose of the house of God is. Haggai 1 tells us in verse 8. It says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You and I, our purpose, our chief end is to bring pleasure to God. The the elders in Revelation gathered around a throne and and they said that it's our purpose is to bring pleasure to God. And so my house, what I'm building, me, the question I have to ask is, am I building my house to fit what God has for me? God's plans and God's purposes and God's pleasure? Or is it for me and my plans and my purposes and my pleasure? If you're the house of God, that's a question we just have to ask. And it's in a great time to ask it going into 2016. As we're resetting our buttons, as we're resetting our lives, it's time to look at that and say, hey, what is it in my house that needs to be built up? What is it that needs to be changed and adapted? What walls got to be knocked down? What walls get to be built up? So that when God's in our life, he steps in, it's like the big reveal, Chip and Joanna pulling the part of your soul away and God going, oh, that's beautiful. That's just what I had in mind. You... And by the way, his pleasure is not because he's some sick guy that just like a marionette. His, you know what? I'm a father. You know what makes me pleased? Is when my kids, Lauren, it's when you're just, you're just rocking and you're just happy and you're doing awesome. Like that makes me pleased as a father. And that's what God looks at us and says, I'm pleased when you're, when you're fire on all cylinders. I'm pleased. That's why He has so much to say about relationships, that's why He has so much to say about money, about. Parenting, because all those things are important in the house of God to build a place out that's customized for Him. So, that if you walk into your life, you're like, oh, this is clearly built for God. In the same way, you walk into the Tyler house at 6515 Batonsville, Arno Road, and say, clearly this was built for a giant dude. They look at you and say, oh, this is clearly built for God. You are the house of God. I am the house of God. How is the house of God built? In Haggai, it says that they did it by the power of the Spirit in verse, sorry, 45-year-old eyes, it says in verse 14 of chapter 1 that the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, he was stirring up inside, it was by the power of the Lord that they were spurred on to go and to rebuild this fixer upper temple. And he's, he, uh, he stirred up Zerubbabel, depending on which emphasis and syllable you choose. It's Zerubbabel or Zerubbabel. Either way, just not a name. You're looking to name your kid. And if you did, I'm really sorry. Uh, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. But look, this, in all the remnant of the people, stirred by the spirit, they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts together. The house of God is built in community together. You and I are not built alone. And I believe that because if you go on to chapter 2 verse 15 it says consider this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. How were you doing? Before your stones were placed together how were you doing? And he talks about you were going for this and you only found half of it and you were it was never enough. But now that these stones are being placed together he says in the end of verse 19 from this day on I will bless you. Now think with me. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul confirms that in 1 Corinthians. But what does Peter go on to say in 2 Peter 3? You and I together. So I'm individually, am I the temple of the Spirit? Yeah, sure. But together, that's what Peter says. You and I, living stones, come together and create the house of God together. So it's fair to say I am the temple of the Holy Spirit but what is a better rendition what is more accurate is that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit when you're isolated and away from the the other stones in the temple is the time when the enemy sneaks in it's true in nature it was true in Israel when they were escaping their enemies it was those that, that would lag behind that separated from the herd so to speak that the, the Ammonites or the Edomites or the parasites, I can't remember which ones, the termites, would attack them, separated from the herd. In community together, you and I, living stones together, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what we can take away from that is that in this day with Haggai, they came together, they worked in unison, putting this stone together with that stone, building together the temple of the Holy Spirit in unity. Gang, that's why we're knocking these walls down. We want to be able as a group, as small groups coming together, large group and worshiping and studying the scriptures, small groups coming together and honing each other, carving and chipping and stones coming together. The pastor that I grew up with in Nebraska said that when you put a brick together, put a building together, it's brick by brick by brick, one at a time. Brick by brick. And when it happens, there's a lot of friction. There's a lot of pounding, a lot of chipping, and most of us have had a moment where we've been chipped, pounded on, and we've walked away from the small group, because I'm not doing that anymore. And in reality, what the Lord was using was that as an act of chiseling and chipping away at you to make you into the strong rock that you are. And I have a word for those of us who have been a part of a church fellowship who might have been hurt. You got burned. I have really good news for you. God loves to use burned stones. In Nehemiah, one of the enemies of the king drove by as they were rebuilding this temple. And you know what he said? Will you guys build this in a day, these feeble people? Will God use these old burned stones to rebuild his city and his temple? These old burned stones burned by Babylon... Absolutely, he will. They were the ultimate in repurposing was not Chip and Joanna Gaines, but Jehovah who took the old burned stones and put them back in place. If you're a burned stone, I encourage you don't stay over in the rubble and in the heat, but come back together in a fellowship of community where together, even if you're burned, you make a strong stone to be side by side with someone. Does that make sense? How does he do it? He's doing it together. He's using the materials of the burnstones, and he's using, I think one of the best ways to find out is if you want to know what materials he used to build a house with is to ask Jesus. And Jesus in Matthew tells us, if you want to hold a finger there in Haggai, in Matthew 7 verse 24, he says that everyone then who, listen to this, hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And he goes on, you remember this song, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man would build his on the sand. And so when the wind and the rain and the storms came, it fell. And it says in great was the fall of it. So not only are we doing this together, in community, using the materials of burned stones. But the way that we're doing this is, verse 24, he who hears these words of mine and does them. That's the house on the rock. For us as a group of believers, it isn't good enough just to hear the words on Sunday. We have to do them. We have to put them into practice. And God has words about everything in your life. Everything. And that's why in just a couple of weeks we're going to be launching a nine-week journey that we're calling Untangled. Because God has things to say about your relationships. He has things to say about sexuality. He has things to say about parenting. And he has a lot to say about money. Lock the doors. We're taking an offering. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's what every one of you thought, though, isn't it? When I start talking like that, you're thinking, oh, it's time for money talk. Time for a sermon. And and you could be forgiven to think that. If you Google sermons on stewardship, you would think that stewardship was simply about tithing. I made it as far as six pages and found that every stewardship sermon I could find was about tithing or giving. Which as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you could be okay, you'd be forgiven to think that God only really cared about percent But I have this whole other 90% that God cared about that too. God has a lot to say about leaving an inheritance for your children. He has stuff to say about debt. He has stuff to say about saving for a rainy day. It's all in there. And so our journey towards rebuilding our house, this fixer-upper, built on a foundation of five years of mission, is for us to stop looking around and say, like right here at home, let's strengthen our core. And we're going to talk about lots of things this year, prayer and parenting, all those things that God has so much to say about. But we're going to start right at home in our own homes and saying, God has a lot to say about money. When I was um, 25, 26, we had just started a little company. We were booking Christian music artists. Does anybody remember the group Grits? Right? I was the white guy booking the hip-hop group. Could not have been less qualified. Booking artists you've heard of and many you haven't, but that year we were, we, were, we were working so hard. And I had it in my mind. I don't know that anybody ever said it, but I thought as long as I do my thing with the 10%, God will work the 90% out. As long as I'm doing this, then everything else will just work itself out. And we were broke as a joke. I was putting on a a green apron and bow tie every evening, waiting tables on evenings and weekends, going down to the place where the plasma, where they stick the coffee stirrer in your arm and suck out plasma. Everything just to keep it alive. And so, but we were, we were tithing in this way. We were writing a tithe check every time a big check came in. And, you know, for us, it was big. $1,500 and we'd write, so like our tithe on the week would be like 15 different checks. Because every time we'd get a paycheck for the company, we would write a a tithe check off of that. And then we would tithe off of our personal income. And so we would always, in those little prayer request cards, we were writing prayer requests of, gosh, we're broke, man. We just need provision. We need breakthrough. We need yada, yada. And a a pastor on staff at that church uh, took me to lunch or coffee or something and said, hey, I've noticed, you know, you're praying a lot. This is your prayer request. And yeah, we're praying for you. But I've noticed like all these checks. And he began to mentor me and teach me about a, a business versus personal and tithing on the increase and not off of the, the, the decrease of it and, and how an LLC, I was passing the, the profit or the loss onto me personally. So in his essence, you know, God's double dipping if I'm doing it that way. And, and he was like, if God told you to do it, I'm not here to say differently, but I just feel like that you're, and what I'm getting at is somebody who's older than me, who had owned a business, sat down and mentored me and told me, quite frankly, a pastor told me, you're giving too much. Are you kidding me? Have you ever heard that before? But it was what I needed to hear because God had something to say about the 90%, and I was so focused on the 10 that I just didn't know it. And we would have literally tithed ourselves right into bankruptcy because we just didn't know. And I could tell more stories of, even in our fellowship, in our congregation, of God bringing the freedom to that, and that's why we're starting this on January 17th. And for those of you that are panicking and thinking, oh no, this is, we're just going to do this now and that's all we're going to do and all we're going to have is money sermons. That's not true. What's true is that you build a house with the materials. Hear what I say and do it. We build it together and you build it one room at a time. You build a the foundation, then you put some walls up and then you start here and you do that. And you, well, This is just one of the rooms we've got to work on. We're just going to start there. We're going to start there because I want the freedom for all of us. Some of you that are older and you've been in business a while, we need you. We need you to be mentors. We need you to teach our young people. Our, our teenagers and our children. My parents, we didn't even, I don't even know that we had a checkbook. Like, we were so poor that we were poe. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we couldn't afford the last O and R, so we were just poe. Nobody ever sat down and told me how to balance a checkbook. I just didn't know. For me, balancing the checkbook meant, well, we, it wasn't read, so that's good. All the bills got paid, so we survived that one. But you know what happens when you live that way? You have an intention to do ministry, but you're in no position for it. I want the intention and the position to line up. And that's going to take some time for some of us. But we're going to do it together. We're going to do it as in, in fellowship with one another. Some of you that are, are doing great, you can be mentors. We're going to need you to mentor the teenagers and the children. If What if our children could leave our church fellowship as they graduate high school knowing not to fall into the trap of student loan debt? What if our children could graduate high school knowing what it means to balance a checkbook and how to save? And as parents, I want us to be equipped to teach them. And as a church, I just want that to be a part of our culture. This isn't about getting more money out of you. I don't need your money. This is about us getting more out of what God has given us, to be a steward of the house that he has given us, the time, the treasure, the talents, the influence, to be stewards of that. And how we're going to do it is we're going to look at his word and we're going to do what it says. Really quite simple. And we are financial peace university. We live under the shadow of Dave but he's not going to come in here and set up a throne. And not that at all. It just, I mean, there's great. There's Ron Blue, there's Crown Financial, but we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. (laughs) People that work for Dave and are part of that ministry that can be good mentors. So why not just use a, 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 a methodology that's tried and true in our country, proven over and over again. That's what we're going to do. And that's why we're going to do it. And here's the deepest why of all. Why are we going to, we're going to start there. We're going to start there for one reason. Luke 14, he says that who of you that's going to build a house, a tower, who wouldn't, who doesn't start first with figuring out where you are financially? So if we're going to build all this stuff in our house, who doesn't start first with just figuring out where you are financially? We're going to count the cost, and we're not going to use that metaphorically, we're going to do it quite literally. We're going to count the cost. That's why we're starting there. But here's the real thing about, when I talk about you and I being the fixer-upper that we are, and by the way, I think that your fixing-upping in mind is this is a lifetime journey we're on all together. This is a long, Because I got all kinds of stuff that needs worked on in my life. Don't say amen too loud, Shannon. All kinds of stuff that needs worked on. We just start with what's in front of us and where the Lord is leading. We're going to start with we started with the foundation. We're going to start with figuring out how much, how much our provisions and where it's at. But the main into God's kingdom and our glory, or for our glory, His kingdom for His pleasure and His glory starts at the end of Haggai chapter two, verse twenty-nine. At the end, when He says to Zerubbabel, "My servant declares the Lord, I'm going to." Make you listen to this. I'm going to make you like a signet ring. What is a signet ring? Does anybody know? It's the ring that somebody wore that proved their identity. The signet ring, when there was a piece of wax, and you wanted to, the owner of the ring wanted to put his identity, this is my document, would press the ring into the wax, and what was left behind was the imprint of the identity of the owner. You and I, just like Haggai, he wants to make into a signet ring so that when I bump into Daniel Pass, that what comes off on Daniel Bass is not me, but Jesus. That I leave the image of Jesus when I am rammed into something else or somebody else. And so when we start with rebuilding in 2016, we, yes, we're going to start with provision. We're going to be in prayer. We're going to, lots of things that the Lord wants us to do together, but we have to strengthen our core in order to extend our reach. We've done amazing things in the nations. God has done amazing things in the nations through this little nickel and dime operation. Every nickel and every dime is equ- equaled somehow over $2 million being given into Taking Jesus into the nations. That's great. We're generous. I get all that. I'm not here to preach a giving sermon. You already know that. But for us to strengthen what's at home so that the other 90% of your income is leaving the inheritance for your children, that you learn about what God has to say about all of it for you. And we go into prayer and, and parenting so that we are strengthened at home. Alex Matala, will say it this way, from Uganda. pastor there said, Transformation is not transformation unless it's practical. Unless something changes, you haven't transformed, right? Stand up and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done in us and through us. We just I'm just absolutely blown away by how good you have been to each of us. And I look and see what you've done just in the last five years and so thankful that you've given us yet another year. And today we make a commitment that this year we're going we're gonna to remodel. We're going to let our, our own home, our own house, our own lives be the fixer-upper that you have been dreaming of. Lord, I want to be that signet ring. I want to be like Zerubbabel to be the signet ring of you. Slowly but surely and patiently we wait and, and work side by side towards that goal. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.